welcome to Rescue Replay. My name is Kala and I'm your host. Holy, has it been a whirlwind of the last couple of weeks. I was in the Bella Coola Valley. Very special valley. Very special valley. If you don't know where Bella Coola is, pull up your Google Maps, type it in, and check it out. Check out its location. It's in BC. It's accessible by car and plane. And it is a place that if you have the opportunity to go or the desire to go, even in the slightest, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you go to this valley. The indigenous territory out there is the New Hulk territory and their values are still so prominent in the valley and you can feel it as you're entering the valley. There's totem poles, there's mass everywhere. There's a community like full-time carvers and there is a lady who does traditional stick poke tattoos of New Hulk tradition and style. And it's such a tight-knit community and it's interesting. Their way of life and the way that they think about life is way more community-based than what we think of, you know, kind of, I want to say like out here in, the, in this world, because it, it is like a different world when you go there. It's crazy, actually, to be honest. Um, if you've never been, okay, so from Vancouver, you have to take, you can take the 97 or the Coquihalla, you have to go up to Williams Lake. Once you get to Williams Lake, you can either keep going up to Prince George, you can cut over to Kamloops, I'm pretty sure. And then you can also take the 20 West. There's only one road in and one road out. And it's the 20. You can take that West and that will take you out to Bella Coola, which is um, a little inlet on the West Coast there. And when they say it's in the middle of nowhere and it's, it's remote, they're not kidding. <laughs> when you turn off of Williams Lake, you drive about 15 more minutes and then it's like civilization ends and you are on this narrow little road and it's not just for an hour or two, it's for six hours. And at some point, this road, the paved road ends and it turns into gravel and you have to do these switchbacks up and down this mountain. It's hilarious that people in the community call it a hill and it's like, it's a mountain. It is just legit a mountain. And some parts of the road are pretty narrow and you know, you got trucks coming in and out and whatnot. It's kind of treacherous and it's literally a cliff on either side. It goes straight up on the one side and straight down on the other side. So you have only the road of where to go and talking to everybody in the community they're like oh yeah we don't really leave in the winter um but in the summer it's just like oh yeah i've gotta i gotta go outside of the valley or whatever and it's a normal thing for them and they're like oh this yeah the road's not too bad and you know because they they're familiar with it and they have to deal with it for so long and one of the people i was chatting to there they were like oh yeah I remember when it was like a goat trail and we would still go up like in the winter times, whatever. And I was like, oh, my Lanta, if that road was any worse than what I saw it as, like, wow, that is some serious, serious courage there. Holy smokes. I got to go up there. I got to help train their new batch of lifeguards. I did some bronze cross classes. I did some bronze star classes and I got to get to know the kids a little bit. And the pool is really quite nice because it's an outdoor pool. It's actually really hilarious. It's an outdoor pool. It's rectangular. It's 18 meters long and like, I don't know, four lanes wide. But what's really funny about it is the ground has frozen and thawed so much and the water table has risen and sunk so much since the pool was built, which was in 1967, which also is mind-blowing to me that a community of such remoteness and such tininess 
had a pool built, a community pool built in 1967. Absolutely incredible, if you ask me. There are so many pools that are built post-1967 in bigger metropolitan-type cities or towns that, you know, are much bigger and have way more accessible resources. Because to get building supplies out there, it's a six-hour, this hill, so from Williams Lake to Bella Coola, it's six hours. It's of nothing. It's not just an hour or two. It's six. And you do the that crazy mountain goat trail switchbacks. It's, it is a drive. So to get building supplies out there, to even build something in the 1960s when that road was, was just a goat trail, wow, like that's impressive. And the fact that it's still functional today, that's also impressive. So it's a rectangle, 18 meters long, four lanes wide which is probably about like 12 meters, something like that. And like I said, the ground has frozen and thawed so much and the water table has moved so much that the pool basin has like sunken. So their deep end actually looks shallower than their shallow end because the pool has sunk so much that the water level just looks funny. And then it also has sunk sideways. So from side to side, the water looks like it's crooked. So it's really quite hilarious. And um, it's surrounded by this beautiful mountain range. The mountains in Bella Coola are something else. They are out of this world. And I'm telling you, I've driven through a lot of mountain ranges. I've been all through the Rockies, like all the way from the crow's nest, all the way up to the northern section of the Rockies. I've done every pass through the Rockies that you can think of, and nothing compares to this mountain range. There is something about it. And the interesting thing about mountains and, you know, stones, actually, if we're talking about indigenous traditions, so sweat lodges are a common practice with a lot of uh, indigenous groups. I won't speak for all of them. I know I've, I know a handful and, you know, I've, I've sweated with some nations before, some elders with the Lakota and the Sutinas. And I like the way that they re reference rocks and the rock people. In the Lakota nation, they say that the rocks are their ancestors. And that when they're firing the rocks, like they're firing all of this ancestral spirit and wisdom and, and guidance. And when they put medicine on the rocks and such, they're enhancing that. And so if you think about it in those terms and you translate that to, you know, mountain ranges, because each tribe has their own section of, of land, right? Uh, rightfully so, like, pre-treaties and such, they would naturally have their own little nooks and they would settle in their own little spaces. And if there are mountains around, there's a couple of different beliefs and how they would be ancestral and how they got created. But viewing the land this way gives them a, a really big connection to the land. And it, then them and the land become one, which is kind of their philosophy and how they operate in their tribes. And it may, when you think about it in these terms, because the kids in Bella Coola, the younger generations, like it's common that they'll leave the valley and that they'll come back to the valley because they, they don't do well outside of the valley. And this is not from my personal opinion. This is what people in the community were telling me about, you know, the way of life there. Cause of course, like I met people and I was networking and talking and asking about all these, all these different things about what it was like living in Bella Coola, what they did, how they sustain themselves, how they entertain themselves and such. So coming from their mouths, they were telling me that, when kids leave, they don't do very well, not only because they're homesick, because they are still very traditional there, very traditional, but they also 
miss that connection to the land. They can't connect and ground when they leave because their territory, their home base has such a strong pull in the community and in their belief system and in their heritage that that's a large re reason as to why, you know, they always, they come back and put their learnings and their service back into the community. So the territory there is the New Hulk. Uh, so it's N-U-X-A-L-K. And to give you an idea of what the population was like, so to get there, you go to Williams Lake, turn west on the 20, drive six hours, you go down the goat trail. Once you're done on the goat trail, because it's just over the mountain that you have the gravel road, once you're down the mountain on the other side, the paved road starts again. So then you have about another 100 kilometers. And from that point where the gravel road ends to the inlet, to the, where the ocean is, that is what they call the Bella Coola Valley. And from that stretch, which is about 100 to 150 kilometers, somewhere in there, I forget the exact distance, there's only 2,500 people. That's it. In a spread of like 120 kilometers. And this valley, you know, when you think of valleys, some valleys are really quite widespread. This valley, there's two mountain ranges on either side of the road. So you're just driving, it's like a huge corridor. And from peak to peak, the farthest point or the farthest distance is three kilometers. So it's a very long and narrow corridor. So when these you're entering it, these mountains literally hug you and they like squish you and they compress you so that all of your internal turmoil comes out. Very interesting experience for me. I've done a lot of dabbling in indigenous traditions, like I said. I've done some sweat lodges with the Lakota and the Sutina Nation. I've done medicine circles. I have done, you know, just basic studying and such. And I've gone to plenty of powwows. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert by any means, but I've definitely put effort into exposing myself to the culture and understanding the culture in its entirety. And when they say, like, the rocks are their ancestors, and in new cult, new Hulk tradition, they have these, they're like deities and they call them carpenters. And there's four of them, or, well, there might be more. The guy that was telling me about this, there was four carpenters that he prayed to because I was also there during the um, solstice. And he said there was only two days that they really marked the seasons by, which was the winter and summer solstice. And so... On the solstice, some of them have some traditions and celebrations and prayers that they send out because it's going to start the fishing season. And so he had four carpenters he was explaining to me that he prayed to. And I learned later that each of those carpenters were responsible for each mountain and they would come down and there's a specific uh, tale to each mountain as to how they created that or how the carpenter created that mountain. I don't know all of them. I didn't have quite enough time to dive into all of that stuff, but I'll, I'll tell you what I know. So, and this, these are all the stories that they, you know, pass on through their generations and that's how they connect themselves to the land. So when they're healing in healing circles or sweating or whatever, they're, harnessing all of that through the land which connects them to their deities to spirit to you know their faith which is really a powerful space to be in when the collective and remember the collective is only 2500 people and a lot of these people are elders that are very you know very adamant in the communities they're very active and they very much carry on their old traditions so the collective and the consciousness there of their spiritual faith is very, very strong. So when I was entering this valley, it was like, the only way I can describe it is, you know, the sound OM and how it's your root chakra and it 
It's supposed to open your root chakra and ground you into the earth's core. It's like as soon as you leave that or done on that goat trail, that gravel road, and you're back on the pavement and you're on flat land and you're entering into this valley, it's like that vibration just comes from the depths of the inner mountains, right from the core of the mountains and are is vibrating in such a way that it's literally, it felt like it was squishing everything out of me. You know, I think of this, this saying, and I don't even know who said it. So here again, I'm quoting something that I don't know who said what. <laughs> I really got to work on that. But it goes something along the lines of, if you were to be squeezed like an orange, whatever comes out you want to have positive. If what's coming out is negative, that's not good. Like, because anytime you get squished, you'll have a negative reaction because on the inside, you're not healed, right? So that's what it felt like to me is when I was entering into this valley, it felt like I was just this orange getting squished and all of this juice was coming out. My innards were just being totally pummeled to excrete anything that was stored in there. And let me tell you, I got there on the Wednesday. So, and I, I'm in the greater Vancouver area. So there's like 2.5 million people around me at all times. So I got there on the Wednesday. I took two days to drive up there, got there on the Wednesday. I worked the Thursday and the Friday, like all day. So I had to just like get right into it, get my groceries, get Zeppelin walked, get to work, this, that, whatever, orientate myself to everything. And then Saturday I had off and the lady that was kind of setting me up and whatever, she was telling me like, oh, these are some areas that you might want to hit this, that, and whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And productive, efficient, want to be busy me, like Vancouver me, I woke up Saturday and I was like, I don't want to do anything. And literally, I just laid on the couch. I walked to Zeppelin and I fed myself, but I just laid on the couch. That decompression was so long overdue. I have been working in Vancouver, like working six days a week. Sometimes I'm working like 21 days in a row. And, you know, my days are long because the courses are nine and a half hours, Monday to Friday, you know, you get your lunch breaks and whatever, but then you also have your travel time and teaching. If you're a teacher, it takes a lot of extra energy because, you know, if your students struggling, if they need to talk to you, if they have questions, they take your break time or, you know, a parent needs to talk to you or you have some logistics to figure out or the lifeguards want to talk to you because you were their NL instructor which is all super, super lovely. And I'm so grateful to have that in so many different pools. But it does become difficult to take time for myself. And then I get so wrapped up in that I got to go, 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 go and be busy to be productive, to be progressing forward that I forget that it's equally as important to stop, slow down and you know, literally turn off. Like, yeah, I stop and slow down. I walk Zeppelin for two hours a day and I really enjoy that slowdown and it really helps just keep the day level. But to, you know, before I went to Bella Coola, here's a good example. I hadn't watched a movie in four months, five months. And it's like, you know, an hour and a half where you can just turn your brain off and just totally get lost in something else. Those kind of things are important to implement into your life so that you can have a break from thinking of the new ideas, thinking of how to be more efficient, how to be more productive, or how to, oh, I've got to go to the beach today because I want to maximize my time and I'm feeling kind of energetic, so I better get out and do something, you know? And we fall into this trap and we forget that literally doing nothing is just as important as doing something sometimes. So that Saturday when I was in Bella Coola and I had the day off, I did absolutely nothing. And my body was like a puddle. It was like, 
wow, we haven't slowed down like this and stopped in who knows how long. And even the traffic, like there's like one car, people are going like 80 kilometers. It takes you 30 seconds to drive from the store to the place that you're staying. It, you know, it's, and there's no traffic lights. There's nobody else. There's no nothing around you except for just nature. It is quite a trip to go from the greater Vancouver area to that kind of an environment so quickly. So that was really quite fun. And then for the remainder of the time that I was there, like I worked most of the time, I had three days off at the very end of my stay there. But while I was there, I, I mostly worked and I got to do a few things, which was really nice. I actually got to partake in a couple of healing circles there. There is this gentleman that comes up from Salt Spring Island. He comes up every six weeks and he stays there for two weeks and he offers cupping and acupuncture into the community. And he was a very interesting character. And so I was invited to partake in this by one of the ladies I had made connections with. She had been adopted into the New Hulk family and um, she she's so knowledgeable. Wow, I really enjoyed chatting with her. I enjoyed spending time with her. She did studies in indigenous studies and environment studies. So she's a big activist for indigenous rights and keeping the land the way that it is and not building. And it just to hear her perspective is really refreshing because she has a different way of looking at it. And it was really nice. And she's so connected that she, you know, and she knew that I was an outsider, right? Obviously. I stuck out like a sore thumb there, you know, and she was like, so we have this, these healing circles, this opportunity, and the community likes it when people come in and they partake and they really gratifying and humbling and a loving experience of all that is, is this gentleman's services, yeah, they might have been for free, like money-wise, but they're not free in their minds because in order to partake in that, you have to heal and you give that healing to the land and then the land transmutes it and, you know, the land takes care of it. And I really got to get into that experience and I really got to feel what they feel or not everyone, but what some of them do. And holy man, did it ever open up some doors that I didn't even really realize were shut or were even existed. And, you know, when we talk about trauma and emotional pain and such, like it really does stem very far back in all of our triggers, especially with rescue. Like most of our reactions, I think that are happening to events in our now day lives really are only trigger like emotional triggers for something that happened probably when we were a child. And I mean, I, it's the age old, like, Oh, childhood trauma, childhood trauma. But really, wow. I'm shocked as to how true that actually is. And when you start breaking down some of the things that you first learned as a child and how that correlates and translates into your adulthood, it's like, wow, there is a lot of truth to that. And no wonder um, every psychologist therapist in the world says like, oh, what's your relationship with your mother like, or your father, you know, and they can relate it back to, you know, some sort of childhood, tra tra childhood trauma. Let me try and say that three times fast, you know? And so, and I had said to this lady that had invited me to this healing circle, I was like, well, you know, I feel like I took advantage of his services because they were for free. And she corrected me right away. She's like, they were not free. You had to heal for that. And let me tell you, the cost of healing feels great. Like it feels like a great cost that you can't afford it. Like it's not a pleasant experience. You know, there's a lot of turmoil and a lot of things shifting on the inside. And 
it's quite unpleasant, actually. You go through, you know, talk about identity crisis, talk about, you know, not knowing what you're doing, like no direction, feeling lost and such. It's definitely tenfold for sure. What I think is really important when you're going through anything that is healing in any way, and by the way, you don't need to go to a healing circle in order to heal. You, I had a green light, I had an opportunity, and I took it. And I would ha- super recommend that anybody that has an opportunity to go to a healing circle, a sweat lodge, a medicine circle, if you ever get invited to any of them in any uh, tradition, I would recommend that you go. It will be an experience like you have never experienced before. And as long as you're open and you're willing to heal, the medicines that you pr- partake in whatever, in however form, they will find a way into your being and they will heal what you are ready to heal. Nothing will be touched that you're not ready or capable of healing. And that's a very important fact to understand. And if you listen to my previous episode, I believe it was episode 11, the self-talk episode, I talk about how we're made up of 300 billion cells that are single-celled organisms. So just imagine, just think about this for a second. Let's say you decide like, yeah, I want to heal like all of my traumas, which every one of you has traumas, whether you want to think so or not. And you want to open yourself to that. Okay. So now that's the message you're telling all 300 billion of your single cells that make up your entire body. So 300 billion cells are vibrating at, I want to heal. I want to be open to healing. And then you partake in medicines of some sort, reflexology, massage therapy, steam rooms, cold plunges, acupuncture, fire cupping, fascia, craniosacral, anything of the alternative medicine realm is a medicine. If you're vibrating at, I want to heal and you partake in these medicines, you will heal to the capacity that you're capable of. It's inevitable. There's, you can't deny it. You can't stop it from happening. As long as you're open and willing, it will happen. It will come through. I will warn you though, when it comes through, it's not a pleasant experience. You're going to cry. You're going to think about things. You're like, oh my God, I haven't thought about that. Ooh, I don't like that memory. That memory hurts. Oh, I wish, you know, I wish my parents didn't do that when I was a kid. That didn't really make me feel very good. You know, all of these things are going to come up because that's what healing is, is you have to face these head on. And I think of the, the tale between the, the goat or the goat, um, the tale of the, cow and the buffalo and the you know do you want to be a cow or a buffalo cows when storms come they sense them they run away and they prolong the exposure to the storm buffaloes they sense the storm and they know if they face it head on they'll get out of the storm a lot quicker so just the difference between two animals and it's quite ironic when you think about that as well because in tradition in in indigenous tradition the buffalo represents strength and they say when you enter a sweat lodge and you know and you could say it for any faith that you have they there is that saying be careful what you wish for so in a sweat lodge you know they say be careful what you pray for my auntie actually told me of this one experience that she had because uh, she's of native descent and she had been in sweat lodges before and she had told me that the sweat lodge was so hot. It was so hot, so hot. And later, and while she was in the sweat lodge, she bowed and she prayed for coolness to cool her off, to like let her get some reprieve from the heat. And later that night, she said she was so cold. She had three blankets on and she could not get warm to save her life. And it just goes to show like, careful what you ask for, because ask and you shall receive, you know, and it's, it happens a lot faster than people would like to give it credit for, especially if you are open, you're willing, and you're giving your 300 billion cells those messages for them to vibrate on. The manifestation and the healing will definitely take a lot faster if you're setting yourself up for, for that. 
the overall healing in the Bella Coola Valley for me was exponential for sure. Like I said, I was that orange just getting bled and squeezed out literally everything on the inside just compressed. And during my day of my decompression, I just completely total puddle, total melt. And while I was experiencing that, I had realized in that decompression how my actions were toxic. Let's, yeah, we can put that that word to it. Because for every positive character trait that you have, there is an equal toxic trait to that. So if you're really productive, maybe you plan all of your time so that you don't have to feel anything. So you don't have that decompression so that you don't have to feel what's going on on the inside. That's a thing. Maybe you're on the flip side and you do have that decompression, but maybe the decompression turns into laziness. Relaxing turns into being lazy. You know, every positive character trait has an equal negative character trait. And this is a duality that every human being has. And I think when Jordan Peterson talks about how you need to be dangerous, but keep it under control, you know, men should be dangerous is what he says. And I believe that he's not being sexist. I think humans should be dangerous because I know lots of girls like that are quite feisty that you would not want to mess with. But I think that that's what he's talking about is knowing that you have that dark side and knowing that you could, if you just let yourself, if you just turned off your humanity, you know, let's vampire diaries reference there. If you just turned off your humanity, you could go to the dark side and you could, you could fuck some shit up. But understanding that and knowing and willingly and consciously choosing to keep your humanity intact and operating as best as you can on the light side and in, you know, in the positive side of life. This is, I think, knowing, understanding the duality is really important for understanding yourself and self-awareness and your inner healing. It's the yin and yang, right? You can't have one without the other. And my abuser, actually, he, you know, he praised himself about how even keel he is and how he's very logical and this and that and his work ethic. And you asked him, I asked him one time, actually, I was like, what do you think your flaws are? And he's like, flaws? And I was like, yeah, what do you think you could work on? And he's like, I don't have anything to work on. Or one time when this was a huge red flag, I should have ran. Oh, man, there were so many times I should have ran. But when we first started dating, it was New Year's coming up. And I said, we spent New Year's separately. And I said, oh, Happy New Year's. I hope, you know, you were able to release a lot or some good stuff or you know, it's kind of, it's that age old, like closing of a chapter, new chapter beginning. So everybody goes through a little release, right? And he said, he responded and he was like, I don't have anything to release. And it's like this guy thinks that he's exempt from emotional trauma and emotional healing. And, you know, he didn't understand that he had that dark side. Or if he did, he did not know what to do with it, or he didn't understand how to utilize it. Because I guess that's your other option is you could understand that you have that dark side and choose to ignore it and it comes out as anger and and all of the bad things, right? And choose not to deal with it. You do have that option. I don't recommend it. It doesn't go very well and it doesn't get you very far in life. And having said that, all of our relationships and experiences do hit us. They pull different strings, which pulls different traumas, which triggers different things, which promotes different levels of healing or different rates of healing, different methods, different times, different little snapshots of healing. And all we have to do is recognize that that's what's happening and just acknowledge it. You don't have to dwell in it for too long. I mean, I think dwelling in it 
for a bit and really just feeling it and understanding it is really important. But you don't have to live there. You can hang out there, but not too long, you know. And once you're, you've had your belly full, like you can give it some gratitude and thank it for your, its lessons. And then you can move on. And this is, this is how we transform. This is how we transmute ourselves. So I think any experience that we go through will help us in our healing journeys. And if we're, like I keep saying, if we're open to that, that it happens quite fast and it's the growth is exponential. It's inevitable, absolutely inevitable. On the other side of the spectrum, so going into the valley and feeling the valley like just squeeze me from the inside out kind of thing. On the opposite end, coming out of the valley and opening back up like, wow, I can't believe how much more space is on the inside how much more flow there is on the inside. And, you know, there's really no words to it. There really isn't. But I really do believe, like, all of the healing there that I I did stayed in the valley. And the land took that and it and transmuted it for me, transformed it. And I feel the most clear I have ever felt and I feel the most aware that I have ever felt, which is a really cool feeling. And to be conscious of that and to understand what it took for me to get here and to see all of the synchronicities and to feel all of the feelings along the way, pretty powerful experience, I have to say. I have to say, if you do go to Bellacoola, I recommend that you stay in 100 Mile House if you're going from south, if you're coming from the south. I would not recommend Williams Lake. <laughs> the hotel in Williams Lake was not nearly as nice as the hotel in 100 Mile House. And 100 Mile House is just the cutest, quaintest little place. There's a really cute consignment store downtown, little donut shop. Highly recommend. I love that stretch. And I think I've said this in my podcast before. I absolutely love that stretch of road. It's called the Caribou. And it goes from Hope all the way to Williams Lake, kind of. Well, maybe it stops before Williams Lake. Williams Lake is in the Lake District. Um, probably, yeah, somewhere up there. But it's this little desert section of BC. It's really dry, really sandy. The valleys are really deep and grand and just little tufts of grass. It's quite a, it's quite a cool, cool little stretch, actually. Yeah, coming out of the valley was also an experience. And Oh man, you know the saying, bad things happen in threes? My God, I had three bad things that happened on my way out of the valley, which is really hilarious because I think it correlates to, in the last episode, I had talked about how, you know, I was, you know, in love and my heart had been taken kind of thing. And that was no more actually like, probably two days after that episode, that became like a, a no more thing. And it was actually really crushing. And I, you know what, to be totally honest, I don't think it was the person or the act of me being in love. I actually don't think that that was it at all. I think that experience and feeling close to someone and feeling um, like I wanted for someone was just, and the fact of it not being available, I think that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. I actually don't think there was any real feelings towards that person whatsoever. I think it was just my old sense of self trying to replay that loving connection because, you know, out of desperation. And I think that that was kind of the tipping point. And it was nice because it happened the day before I left the valley. So I really got to feel that emotion. And of course, like it really took me to a, a deep, way deeper place. Like I really, 
think that I kind of had, you know, fantasized that in my head and it, that wasn't how it was at all. It was just an experience to, it pulled a different string and it, it, it opened up a way different spot in my, in my being. So it was nice that it kind of like crashed and burned while I was in the valley because I got to like feel it out and I got to leave it there. And now I'm really grateful because now just that piece that it, it struck, like opened, it cracked open. So now I can cultivate that because it felt really good. It felt really safe and it felt really pure. Um, so now that I know what that feels like, because honestly, the reason why it took me by surprise and storm and I was like, oh, this must be my soulmate, la la la. It's because I had never felt anything like that before. I never knew that I was even capable of feeling something like that and or even opening myself up to a spot to feel something like that. So now the cool part is, is I get to cultivate that for myself, which is really neat. I talk about communication and body language a lot in my NL classes. And I talk about how your demeanor and the way that you hold yourself as a lifeguard, you have to communicate with your body language to all your patrons that you're clear headed, you're alert, you're confident, you know what you're doing, you know, because you don't always get to talk to these patrons. So you have to emulate that confidence of a rescuer, you have to emulate like, hey, if shit hits the fan, I am coming for you, I am putting myself in the way for you, because I know how to get you and myself out of that situation. So you have to say that within your body. And this is my one of my opening topics on day one is body language and communication, because I want them to work on it all week, right? So now that I have this, there's like this little crack open in my in my being in my heart center. Now I get to feel the difference in my body language and how I'm presenting myself because I'm living in a different spot on the inside. Because I'm feeling that, now it's I'm starting to see things differently. The change has happened on the inside, so now I'm starting to see things differently on the outside from my perspective. And I'm really starting to notice the shift and the change in things, which is a really cool experience, really cool experience. The kids in Bella Coola are so fabulous. I had three NLs and I had three bronze crosses and I had a total of about 16 bronze stars. Not everybody was successful, but just getting to know the kids and being there and gosh, were they ever excited and grateful that I was there and they had so much fun and their way of life like they're just they have a different innocence about them which because they're you know they also still have landlines there and their gas pumps some of you might not know this reference but their gas pumps you still have to pull the lever for the gas to start and when you go in it's expected that you take the total in with you and that you, you know, the total, you know, and if you don't, they go out and check the pumps. It's not this computerized, like tap, you know, swipe this pin, that kind of thing. It's uh, very old school. You know, there was two, three gas stations there and only one of them had premium, thank God. And I was, I was filling up to leave and the pump wasn't working and I was like oh no and I ran in and I was like is your premium working and she's like I just turned the pump on and it was like you know 10 o'clock in the morning they had already been open for two hours because I was the only one in the valley that used the premium uh, but I was stressing out because if I put regular in my car I drive an Audi if I put regular in my car I only get like half the kilometers per tank like it just chews through the gas and I had like I had to make it from Bella Coola to Williams Lake with, you know, because there is, well, there was one gas station along the way that had premium, but it was about an hour outside of Williams Lake. So about five hours from Bella Coola. So I had to make sure I had a, enough gas to get from Bella Coola to there. So I was a little stressed out, but thank God that was a crisis averted. As I was coming out of the valley though, man, and like I say, I said earlier, bad things happen in threes and it all happened after um, 
I had, you know, had my heart crushed kind of thing, you know, and I, it made me wonder, I was like, wow, was that really the right choice? But it's, it is what it is now. And cause it just felt funny to me that that ended. And then these really horrible instances happened, like the coincidences, it was like, whoa, is spirit trying to tell me that that was a bad choice? But also too, you can't look into everything too deeply because sometimes shit just happens. Murphy's law, if something can go wrong, it probably will go wrong, you know? So the first thing that happened was I was coming out and I wanted to stop at Fisheries Pool, which is this really beautiful like swim hole in the river and gosh, there's mountains and trees and the water is nice and warm and it's nice and slow and fresh. And I had taken off my Birkenstocks to go and do a dip, which I, I can explain a dip a little bit later. And when I turned around, Zeppelin and I were going for this dip. And when I turned around, there was only one shoe on the bank. So I had lost one shoe to the river. It must have floated down the river because I looked and I looked, I scoured, but it must have just, that's the only explanation is that it floated down the river. And the sad thing about those Birkenstocks is they were only two months, two months old and they were like the special edition, special color. They were kind of the really expensive Birkenstocks and they were so cute and I loved them so much. And boom, down the river, gone. So that was the first thing that, that happened that was not good. And then the second thing that happened that was not good on my trip home was when I had gotten to my hotel, I stayed at 100 Mile House. On my way there, I stayed at Williams Lake. I didn't like it nearly as much. So I stayed at 100 Mile House on my way home. And I went to go open up my toiletries bag and my hair oil, my I shop at The Ordinary. I get all my products at The Ordinary. It's a Canadian company and it's very, very high quality stuff. I would highly recommend, by the way. But my hair oil, my Marula hair oil, which was a full bottle, had spilt all over my toiletries bag. And because I had left the cap unscrewed and I didn't notice when I was packing. So my toothbrush, everything was coated. And Marula oil is a really light oil. So it's really soft and smooth so it just coated everything and i to wash oil off of products well you know how that goes it's not super easy so that was the second thing and the third thing was what really gosh it really scared me i was driving through and there's this place called spence's bridge and it's like a little hamlet there's like 10 trailers and like a hotel there kind of thing you blink and you'd miss it it's just outside of yale which is outside of hope by not very much and there's this old tattered broken down abandoned church that was um wood siding and it was all wood and it was just this really cute little church it had this overgrowth and it was kind of green and the paint was fading and it's in the middle of this desert kind of field so it just really stands out and I don't know what it is about me in old tattered buildings but I have a just a love for taking photos of them so and I had known that this was going to be the last time I was driving through this section of BC for quite a while because I knew that I was going to hunker down in Vancouver when I got back so I was like oh I have to take a picture of this church because the other times I had driven by it, I had been like, oh, I, I should have stopped, but whatever, I'll get it next time. So this was my last time. So I'm like, I better stop this time. So I did. And I was wearing these Lulu shorts. And what I was doing, I have my car key off of a keychain, So it's just the key. So it's nice and light in my ignition. It doesn't pull or do any damage or anything. So what I did was, is, was I took my key out and I put it in my shorts because I didn't have any pockets, but my shorts weren't tight enough. So as I was walking, because I had to park and walk a little bit, as I was walking, it fell out into this desert field while I was walking, taking pictures, but I didn't notice. And when I got, so I didn't notice where it fell out. So when I got back to my car, I went to go turn my ignition on but my key wasn't there and I was like oh my god where's my key it wasn't in my shorts and 
you know, I totally panicked. I had lost my key in this field and I called Brittany, my bestie, and I was like, what do I do? And she's like, you're just going to have to scour it because you know your key's out there somewhere, you know, and I was scouring and scouring. I was practicing my lifeguarding scanning for an hour, hour and a half. Oh my gosh, it was so stressful, so crazy. And the funny thing is, is it's a black key and it was a desert field. So you would think that it would stand out because it was basically just rocks and sand, right? There was like maybe a handful of tufts of grass. And when I finally found it like an hour and a half later, it was under this one tuft of grass, like not even in not it like you had to look for it and I was like yeah just my luck so that was the third thing bad things happen in threes that was the third thing and actually I always teach in my opening day too of my or of my opening day in my NL classes we talk about the roles and responsibilities of lifeguards and one of my cardinal rules is I say you got to go by the rule of three and they're like, what? And I was like, well, have you ever heard, you know, bad things happen in threes? And they're like, yeah. Or when it rains, it pours. And they're like, uh-huh. And I, I'll say, okay, if your shift starts off on a sour note, it's going to stay on that sour note. So expect three big things to happen or three somethings to happen that day. And you want to be prepared. You go by the rule of threes. So you have three pairs of socks, three pairs of shorts, three shirts, three underwear, so that if you have to go in for rescues, you have a lot to fall back on because in my experience that is always how it goes if one thing goes wrong expect other things to go wrong until you get to three and I have had it where I've like rescued like three times in one day and I have had to use all three of my uniforms you know and then on the flip side of that your co-workers begin to know that you're always like super prepared so if they're unprepared or if they don't have three uniforms and they know that you do then they know who to go to to say hey can I borrow like a pair of socks or a pair of shorts or whatever so always go by the rule of three it's never fails and you know worst case scenario you're just wicked over prepared yeah so that was that was my experience in Bella Coola I would recommend that Anybody, if you have the opportunity to go to Bella Coola, I would definitely recommend it. The kids there are great. The pool there is so amazing. It's wild just having a swim and mountain 360 view is your backdrop. It's very, very humbling, very humbling. Thanks for joining me on episode 13, lucky number 13. Uh, tune in next Friday at 10 a.m. for episode 14. We got lots of good things coming down the line and really excited to be here. So thanks for joining us. This is Rescue Replay, out.